0: And you maybe see it. <clears throat> There's songs like that that remind us on a daily basis that that we live desperately in need of God, of His strength, of His love, of His uh, providence, of His care for us, of His protection. Uh, and, and because God is the invisible God, He's the God who's not physically seen in flesh and blood like we are. Sometimes we forget that we need Him every single day, and that He plays such a huge role. I don't even like saying it that way. He plays such a huge role in our lives. He is our life, right? That's what Jesus says. He says, I've come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So whatever it is, it looks like life without me. That's not life. It's only life when you're living with me and through my strength and by my grace and with my help. And so God is good. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, good morning. Welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Hey, this is your first time here with us. Uh, we do uh, welcome you here. There are cards in the seat in front of you, um, just connection cards, ways of connecting here. Uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, if this is your first time, or you've never filled one of those out, we'd just love for you to uh, let us know that you're here so we can be uh, praying for you and, and know who you are. Um, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, feel free not to. But uh, we're not going to come knocking on your door or any of that kind of stuff. So, um, But we just love to know know you're here. And there's buckets on the table when we share in communion. Um, after the message, you can just put it in that, those buckets. Also, um, uh, not next week, but the week after that, we're beginning a, a new series called You Asked For It, um, and uh, so we're, this series is simply about, you know, uh, i always, you know, and this is just uh, part of the, the, um, the vocation, right? Part of my vocation, I, Um, is that people are always coming to me with different questions about God, about the Bible, about, hey, my co-worker say this? And, uh, what does the Bible say about this? Or what does God think about this? Those kind of questions. Um, so I'm always getting, uh, kind of hit with those questions. And some of them happen, uh, uh, on a repeating basis. And, and I don't, when I say hit by those questions, I don't mean like, I'm not like, yeah, why are people always asking me questions? I'm like, I love those kind of questions. And I am open and available and willing to sit down and talk about uh, those questions with you. So um, this series isn't the only opportunity you have to answer some of those questions. But uh, if there's anything that you've been like, just kind of a burning, like, I would like to hear a sermon about, uh, you know, just whatever... Um, you can put it on one of those cards and see it in front of you. On the back, it, it says prayer request, but you don't have to put a prayer request there. You can put the question that you have. You can just write that question. And again, when you, when you take communion, you can put it in the buckets. So, what we're going to try to do, now we can't answer every question. It's just impossible in the time that we have. We could probably spend a year answering uh, questions alone. Uh, we're not going to try to do that, but um, but we will spend... Uh, six weeks looking at different questions that people kind of bump up against in the journey of faith. And so I'm asking for your help. I'm asking you to help me come up with a list of questions, uh, that, that will, uh, that will guide this series. Now, um, <clears throat> there is one disclaimer. Uh, just because you submit a question does not mean that question will be answered. Uh, and, uh, and that's because, yeah, I just don't know how many we'll get. I don't want anybody going, you didn't answer my question. I'm like, well, I got 20 questions. I had six weeks. and So, Um, But but we can sit down and we can talk about uh, whatever question you want. And and your question can be answered as much as it is answerable. Some things aren't answerable. All right, well, uh, last week we uh, we started a series, we were simply calling Emptied, and, and really we were talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that the tomb was empty, the fact that Jesus emptied himself, um, but that there are some important things that happen in our life and in our world as a result of the empty tomb. And so we're just spending really three weeks, the second week, three weeks just reflecting on uh, what it means for the tomb to be empty, for Christ to have emptied himself for us, and how that affects the way that we live our lives every single day. So let's pray, and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather in this place and to open the Scriptures. God, that's something we take for granted. There are people living in places where every time they open the Bible and read it publicly, they fear for their lives. And that's sad. And we don't feel that fear and we don't experience that kind of pain and our faith doesn't require that of us it's a privilege that we're thankful for but god as we open the scriptures this morning i just pray that you will help them to come alive to us as we read them publicly god i pray that we do so with a new joy God, I pray that you will help us to see them in a way like never before so that we can see your will for our life in this place, the way that you're calling us to stretch ourselves and live out our faith in a way that we truly do live as lights in this world so that people might see the good light of Christ within us and that they will praise our Father in heaven. God, we thank you that you died on the cross, that you were laid in a tomb, And that you live again. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, last week, like I said, we started this series called Empty, and the main point that kind of came out of last week uh, was that the grave, uh, or the. The resurrection, sorry, I got confused there real quick. The resurrection redefines all graves, right? That we, last week we said that um, that the grave before the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a symbol of finality. It was a symbol of the end of the road. There was a symbol of a dead end. There was no more hope there once you got in the grave. Once anyone was buried, right, um, they, they knew that was the end. You had said your final goodbyes. You began to go through the mourning and grieving uh, a process, um, and, and you knew that things that were placed in the grave and the stone rolled over them would not be seen again. And so um, at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, something miraculous happened, and that's that Jesus... Uh, God in the flesh defeated death and the grave, right? He was buried, he laid there for three whole days, right? And then he rose again. God raised him up from the tomb, and now the grave has been redefined, right? Now no longer is the grave a symbol of uh, finality, but now in a post-resurrection world, it's a symbol of victory. And so the empty tomb says, God is victorious here right and the fact that it happened here and not in some kind of um uh i don't know metaphysicals or some some out there space it happened on earth for people to see with their eyes to be uh to be witnessed with their very eyes um um it says that the grave is no longer a symbol of finality here upon the earth but it's a symbol of victory and opportunity In fact, there's so many dead things in our lives that we give up on, and it's really an opportunity for God to get the glory, right? So dead relationships, it's an opportunity for God to get the glory. It changes the way we view those things, right? We don't give up on a relationship that's hit dead ends, a dead end, because it's an opportunity. The the resurrection has redefined all graves, not just the physical grave itself, um, but all graves. God wants to get the glory in Every single thing. So it doesn't matter where we are. We feel like we're in a dead end financially. That's an opportunity for God to get the glory. Remember what we said last week? That doesn't mean that, um, that things automatically get better for us. But here's what it does mean. It means as long as we persevere and push through under the strength of God Almighty, God's going to get the glory in the end. We know how that story ends, right? That God has a place prepared for us that's better than this. Right? And that as, and as we bear witness to Him here on earth, by the way we endure struggle, hardship, and trial, by the way we face graves and dead ends, as we bear witness to His power through that, more and more people come to know Jesus Christ. And, and and one of the things we want to see is we want to see heaven busting at the seams because of people who have seen us and the faith that that the light of Christ is within us, that people come to know our Heavenly Father through the way we live, through the way we struggle, through the way we endure hardship. And so the thing that just hit me this week uh, is is that um, our faith, um, the integrity of our faith uh, begins to crumble um, if we don't live like the resurrection is true, right? If we don't live like the grave has been redefined. And so if we just like like when I say we, the church, people who who believe in Jesus Christ, right, if we don't live as though um, the grave has been redefined and now it's an opportunity for God to get the glory, right, if we hit graves and we just give up, right, um, our, the integrity of our faith begins to crumble because our faith is placed in a God who has conquered the greatest grave to ever exist in this world, which is death. He's the only one that's been to death and is back and was alive to tell the story. When I was sharing with the worship team, um, bef- before we came out here and we, we always kind of gather in the back and if, and, and have kind of a short devotional and, and, the thing that hit me was, is how, um, how, how, um, How powerful it must have been. And just imagine this, just for a moment. I know as adults we forget how to use our imagination sometimes, but just imagine this for just a moment, right? If you lived in the first century and you physically saw Jesus traveling around doing miracles in different places, uh, you place your hope in him. You believe that God really was doing something here, right? Um, and so uh, all of your hope was in this, that God was doing something miraculous. God was doing something in- incredible here upon the earth. All of your hope is in place in that. You've um, made Maybe you've even given up your job to follow him because you believe that it was worth it to do that, and and then you saw this guy um, shackled, and, and then you saw them forcing him to bear his cross to Calvary, and this whole time you're like, you know, kind of uh, standing on the tip of your toes because you're waiting because you know that he can that he can defeat the cross, right? That that ultimately human strength, it, it has nothing on this guy that you've seen him heal the sick and raise the dead and um, and do all these mighty powerful miracles that no one could ever do. But then you saw him hang on the cross. And, and still even to that point, um, the nails through his hands, the nails through his feet, you're, you're waiting for something to happen, right? You're, you're just kind of on pins and knees. You're waiting for him to somehow get down off the cross and, and to kind of like, ah, you have no you know strength over me that kind of like i imagine jesus growling like ah, like breaking off of the cross Uh, you're waiting on that to happen but then you hear him cry out my god my god why have you forsaken me and you see his body grow limp and they take a spear and stick it in his side and there's no there's no flinching there's no jumping because he really is dead and then you see him taken down from there and Several people carrying his limp body and burying it in a tomb. And then three days later, you see him again. And the scars are there to tell the story. Like, imagine that. And imagine how that moment would change your life. How that moment would change every single thing about every single day, that moment has happened. And the challenge in the church is that for us living far away, where that becomes just a story and not a reality, we don't live as though every single moment the resurrection is true and that it has occurred in reality on this earth and that it changes everything. Everything we do is altered by our belief in the resurrection. You see, where Paul gets in Philippians, um, um, chapter, uh, chapter two, when Paul gets in this chapter, one of the things he's doing is he's teaching us that as a result of the resurrection, we who believe have been adopted into God's family, and now God is our our father, right? Um, and, and for the first time, these people that, that believe in God would have been hearing that, that, that God is your father. Look at just the way be- Paul begins, if my pages will stop sticking together, uh, how Paul begins in Philippians uh, chapter 1. I'm, I'm just going to read the opening to this letter to the Philippians. This is kind of the, the, Paul's standard opening uh, to the different letters that he writes to the church. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Right, that's a, that's a powerful statement right there. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the grave has, the resurrection has not only uh, redefined all graves, but our belief in the resurrection has secured our adoption into the family of god and so the god who in philippians chapter chapter two that we looked at last week where it says in your relationship with one another this is verse five uh when your relationship with one another have the same mindset as christ jesus who being in the very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made a human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Right. That's what we looked at last week, that he died, even death on the cross. Right. There's God in the flesh. Therefore, God exalted him. Right. So he was laid in. He was dead. He was laid in a tomb. Dead folks don't walk. Right. They don't get back up. I don't know. I don't care what that show. Uh, what's that? Walking dead? I don't It doesn't matter what that show. Jesus did not like. Like, it wasn't like, he wasn't a walker, right? It, that's not the way things went down. Uh, um, um, God, God, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, right? The fact that God raised him from the dead and that God is now in our Father, wow! Like we lose our um, our our sense of excitement in that. That every day we know who our father is, right? Um, and, <clears throat> Yeah, and it's God who's actually adopted us and made us his children, brought us into our uh, his family, and he's a good father that will take care of us in ways like no earthly father can. You may be down on your own father or, or have uh, had hard, sh- hard times with him, um, but, but God has promised to be our good and perfect and holy father, and all of his ways are, are good. Now, one of the things that, that happens, and, and sometimes you can you can um, you, you see it um, the the um, kind of the longer you live with with a person, the the more they start to look alike. You ever see like two older people that've been married uh, for like you know forty years, and you're like, I could tell, like brothers, brothers, sisters. Mannerisms become like. I think we even got some some pictures. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> look at those. That, that's they've been together a long time. Look. Like, um, yeah, I think we got some more. Oh, yeah, it even happens with dogs sometimes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. oh. oh, come on. Uh, you know, um when I notice that kind of thing happen, like, I I don't know which way it happens. Like, I don't know whether it's a dog that begins to look like the person or the person that begins to like, but I, I tell you, I choose my dogs carefully, Right. That may be vain, but I'll choose my dog. Because the longer you live with somebody, it can be a dog. You begin to look like them. Well, hey, here's the deal. That's kind of funny, but here's, here's the deal. This is what the scriptures teach us, right? Um, that the longer we live with God our Father, we should begin to look like Him. Right? That's, that's really what Paul's teaching us. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed everything. Our belief in that has now made us children of God, where He's now in our father and that changes everything even the way we live our lives and that every day we should begin to look more like him so paul kind of rolling out of the resurrection of jesus christ in verse 12 in philippians 2 verse 12 uh, if we pick up there after the resurrection kind of rolling out of that listen to what paul says to the church he says therefore my dear friends as you have always obeyed not only in my presence but now much more in my absence continue to work out your salvation, right? So um, let me pause right there because we we take that word "obeyed," and um, I, I don't. I mean, this, maybe this is just me. Maybe this isn't you, but I I almost treat God like like um like God almost like a parent that you misunderstand, right? As kids, kids don't understand why this rule exists. Kids don't have that logical um, reasoning to say, "Hey, that why like why why can't I do that? Like why why like why does that rule exist? Kids kids just can't." <clears throat> As they mature, they gain a, a, a ability to grasp that. But as a, at a young age, a lot of times they have a hard time with that. So we hear this word obeyed. And for me, like, I'm like, okay, God has a list of rules that aren't for me to understand. He just wants me to do it. Right. But this is what this, what Paul's pointing to in Philippians, right? It's not just that God is, is um, just handing you this list of rules and saying, hey, do this. Why? Because I said so, right? It's not that kind of deal, right? But he's saying, continue to work out your salvation. So he says, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. You see, last week I think I think that was here. I've been so many conversations about Bible stuff, but maybe that wasn't even up here. But uh, last week I was in this conversation with you or with somebody where we talked about um, about uh, the, the uh, creation points to the fact um there is this intelligent design right that that the things that that are here on earth right these things didn't just um they didn't just happen right um some people say if there's if if uh, the way i like the way they say this but uh if there was a big bang there must have been a big banger right somebody must have been doing it it was a design of somebody god spoke and that pounded his fist that was the bang and it happened right but the bible teaches us that god spoke things into existence by the power of, of his words there had to be an intelligent designer there had to be one at the head of it all who designed all this it didn't just come into being right and if there's an intelligent designer to things that we see there's obviously a god who knows the intelligent design to life itself Right? And that's God our Father. And so when he's teaching us and he says, obey as you've always obeyed, and then he con- uh, kind of continues it and says, continue to work out your salvation, what he's saying is that God has already done something. On um, the church, we call that salvation. God has rescued us. Right? He has um, rescued us from the destructive patterns of this world. And he knows the design to life here. And it's not just obey because I said so and I'm God. It's obey because this is working out your salvation. This is living into the fact that you've been rescued. This is a better way of life. And so Paul begins to lay that out coming out of the resurrection. He lays that out for us in a way that's more clear for us to understand from this uh, like kind of Old Testament, Ten Commandments, list of rules. Well, why can't I eat pork? I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, it's just he's saying, "Hey, this is working out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and act according to His good purpose." Right? And then he says in verse fourteen, and this is one of the verses I want us to focus in on this morning, verse fourteen, because we can miss this one, or um, or uh, uh, either miss it and accidentally or miss it intentionally because we don't like what it says. Um, do everything, do everything without grumbling and or or arguing not and or or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, he says. Um, And so what I want us to focus in on this morning is the role of our attitude in living a godly life because that's what Paul's pointing to here. He's pointing to the role of our attitude in living a godly life that our attitude can get in the way of our ability to live for God. So we believe in the resurrection, right? We believe that Jesus did that. We've got the facts we've um, kind of made... This mental assent to the facts that Jesus rose from the dead, we've proclaimed that, we've been baptized into him, but we believe there's an intelligent designer, we believe what the Bible says, but, um, but, but in this world, on too many occasions, we got a negative attitude to the design of the designer right um it, it's kind of like god might have said it but i don't like it right god might have willed it but it's not my will or, you know that kind of thing um and so what paul is pointing when he says continue to work out your salvation and then he says do everything without grumbling and arguing really what he's doing is he's he's for jewish readers at least they would have seen this they would have known he was talking about even if you look further where it says In that verse 15, where it's in quotations, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, right? He's quoting from the Old Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy. And so this is a throwback to the Israelites, which if you're familiar with the story of the Israelites... Um, and the way they complained, right? When God—if you know this story, beginning in Genesis, uh, especially Genesis chapter twelve, beginning with Abraham—God um, begins to form a people, right? Out of out of Abraham's descendants. So you have Abraham, you have Isaac, you have Jacob. Jacob, I believe, was the one that was renamed Israel by God in, somewhere in the Book of Genesis, maybe chapter thirty-five. Um, God, uh, God God does this thing when he uh, when he captures grabs hold of people's lives, like. Um, he often renames them. He gives them a new name. Uh, and, and it's a sign that God has, has, has gotten hold of that person's life. So he renames Jacob, uh, Israel. He says, I'm going to do powerful things, uh, through you. And that's where the Israelites come, come out of, the descendants of Jacob or Israel. Uh, and so that we get to Joseph, and Joseph goes through this kind of rough time. His brothers hate him. They sell him into slavery. Um, just a cr- kind of crazy story. It's worth reading in, in the book of Genesis uh, tw- 12. You can even read chapter 12 through the end, or you just read the whole thing. It's, it's pretty fun if you read it with uh, imagination. Um, but if you read it like and blah, 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 blah. it's not gonna be fun for you um, but if you read the scriptures with imagination imagining these things coming to life it, it really does come to life and when you read the story right his brothers hated him he had this special coat uh they they took his coat they covered it in blood told his father he was killed they sold him into slavery he was in slavery he was in prison he was accused of attempting to uh, kind of rape his master's wife and uh, or boss his wife whatever way you want to put it thrown in prison for a long time forgotten there and then eventually God like elevates him to like the second in charge in Egypt. So it's a long story, but to make a long story short. God elevates him in this crazy way. He forgives his brothers. They love on him. They all move the whole family down to Egypt. They're one big happy family again, right? Um, and, and this this kind of this neat thing happens where God shows his his hand upon uh, the life of this this um, what became known as the Israelites, right? This, these generations, descendants of Abraham. God shows his hand and power there. Um, they begin to prosper in Egypt but they prosper so much that the Egyptians are like, hold on now, right? Uh, these people are going to try to take over something here. So let's put them into slavery. So they're in slavery for, for um, a long time. Let's just put it that way. I don't know how many years. They're in slavery for a long time. Uh, and, and God comes in and rescues them. He uses this guy named Moses, but God did it. He rescues them from slavery. Um, and they leave. And you know this this story probably when they get to the Red Sea and Moses stands there, he prays to God, and God parts the Red Sea. And it says they passed through on dry land. and And they were freed from slavery, but they were in the wilderness. And they began to complain. Now, in that story, they went from one bad situation, slavery in Egypt, to another bad situation, the hardships of the wilderness. But there was a difference between slavery in Egypt and the struggle of being in the wilderness. And that's that God had proven that he was with them. When he parted the Red Sea, he said, I am for you. I am your God. Be my people. I will be your God. But here's their complaint. Their complaint was that they wanted God to do what they wanted Him to do. They wanted to go from slavery in Egypt immediately to the Promised Land, and they didn't realize that God was going to take them through the wilderness, and that that wilderness was intended by God to be a part of their testimony. That that wilderness was intended by God to be a part of their story. And they immediately began... To grumble, and it was this emotional rejection of God's will, of God's providence, and of God's circumstances for what God, God for their for one's life. and so they're going, God, why, why in this wilderness am I having to endure? this just one passage in, in uh, 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 Exodus chapter sixteen. I'll just read you what they said. Uh, chapter sixteen, verse one, it says, "The whole Israelite community, uh, uh, the whole community, the whole community." Um, uh, set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. I'm I'm sure there should be an accent or something there somewhere. Sin. We'll call it Sin for the sake of making it sound like it's not like Sin. (laughs) To the desert of Sin, uh, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, Right? They started complaining. God had just rescued them. They had passed through the, red sea on dry land god had proven that he was with them that he was for them the whole community grumbled against moses and aaron the israelites said to them if only we had died by the lord's hand in egypt <sighs> um that there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted um but it is hard to silence a stomach that's growling right? <laughs> that's just a hard thing to do so i mean I'll, I'll show the i'll show the israelites a little bit of grace here because <laughs> yeah Um, They had food in Egypt, right? But you have brought us out in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And so here here it was in the middle of the wilderness after God had proven what he was able to do, they began to complain because they aren't able to see what's next. Like we live in the moment and that's that's not necessarily a, a good thing. I mean, a bad thing. But sometimes we can live so much in the moment that we're not able to trust God for the next moment. And so the Israelites, even though God had done miraculous things, even though God had rescued them, they grumbled because they were dissatisfied with God's will, God's providence, and God's circumstances for their life. And when we get into Philippians chapter 2, this is what Paul's teaching us about, right? He's pointing back to the Israelites, and he's saying God was clearly doing something in their life, right? It was as clear as day that God had rescued them, that this was by God's might, that God really was what he said to, uh, Moses, I am, right? What do you need? I am. I am what you need in this moment. That God clearly really was that. But they grumbled. And and Paul, in this letter to the Philippians, is kind of turning that around and saying, Jesus rose from the dead. Are we quickly forgetting that, right? That, that this guy, yeah, how quickly we forget that. Because even in the first century, I say, like, maybe if you saw it, maybe you wouldn't forget. But apparently they did. Um, that, that even though you've seen Jesus die on the cross and now he's alive again, you're forgetting that God really is involved in your life. And you're quickly falling into grumbling, which is this word grumbling. Like if you, you, um, look at it, uh, uh, kind of in, in the original language, in the, in the, in the Greek, it's like this, uh, almost like a, a smoldering discontent, this a kind of low tone of voice, this, you know, so you're not really talking to anybody, you're kind of talking to yourself. And it's like, God, why, why, um, it's not just, it's just not just asking, it's not just asking why, because God honors curiosity. Um, So it's not just a a dissatisfaction with life, but it's more of a distrust of God. It's this, in the middle of my situation, I am grumbling against God in a way that's distrustful of Him. Yeah, I might not be able to see the good in this, and I might be dissatisfied with that, but I say, even though I can't see God, I'm still going to trust you here. Or even though I don't know why this is your will for my life i'm still going to obey right but this grumbling looks at our lives and says i'm gonna go to church (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna keep singing on the praise team i'm not talking about anybody specifically i'm gonna keep singing on the on the praise team but but god you know i'm just not doing that right or I'm going to keep serving at my church. I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep going through the motions. But God, I'm just not doing that because I can't trust you here. Because I can't see how that's for my good. I can't see how that fits in my life. God, you lived a long time ago. I can't see how that's relevant today. right? And it's this grumbling against God that draws us away from God and God's will and, and what we see with the Israelites is it begins to spread. And so when Paul says grumbling and arguing, right, this arguing was this kind of louder, um, um, defiance, this discontent with God and, and God's ways that begins to spread to other people that, that kind of almost erupts in a sense within the community. And that's what we see with the Israelites. And, and that's one of the reasons why we see God dealing so harshly With the Israelites, if you read through Exodus and Numbers and the story of the Israelites, some of the things that happened there, you're like, God, did you really, did you really have to, did you really have to go to those extremes, right, to get these people, get these people back on course? And it's like, yes, He did, because there's this infectious nature to negativity, right? This negative attitude, it spreads like a disease, and God knew that it would do that. And so, when the Israelites started complaining, God nipped it in the bud quick, because He knew that it would ruin what He was going to do through the Israelites when we start complaining in the church Paul's nipping it in the bud he's saying hey you've seen what God is able to do don't complain against him don't don't um, distrust him but put your whole trust in him so that you're able to say yes to the Lord in the ways of the Lord because the more you say yes the more you begin to look like your father who is in heaven let me just read that passage one more time. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 12 again. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according or to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then you'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Yeah, that you'll be able to look back and say, maybe not in the moment, right? But you'll be able to look back and say, yeah, God really knew it. God, that sounds funny to say. God really did know what he was talking about. God, you really do know what you're talking about. Um, you'll be able to say that. Because your life will be a living testimony that that is true. So I believe there's some next steps uh, for us as a church out of this passage that we can incorporate into our lives. I think the first thing that we don't do enough of as a church is is that's learning the way of Jesus. Learn the way of of Jesus. Um, The reason why we refer to, well, um, not the reason, uh, but Jesus in a very, we talked about this last week, in in a very clear, in intentional way was always referring to god as father uh, because he was he he was here to teach us what it looked like to live as children of god and so it's so important for us to know the way of Jesus, to learn the way of Jesus, to study Jesus. The rest of the Bible is important, but I tell you those first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, where we actually uh, see what some eyewitnesses to Jesus' life saw in Him recorded for us today, that we actually get to hear in a sense firsthand, right? By reading, we get to hear the teachings of Jesus. It is so important for us as a church to to study the teachings of Jesus because that teaches us what we are to look like as children of God. Even if we look uh, just a little bit further in chapter three of Philippians, listen to what Paul says in verse seven. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider them lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ right this idea of knowing Christ the surpassing worth of that that it's worth more than anything this idea of knowing Christ the church has to learn the way of Jesus Christ so he says um, what's even more I consider everything a loss uh, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things I've given it all up everything I've placed in his hand right whatever he wants me to do It's a yes before he asks, right? Um, uh, And then he goes on to say, uh, where was I? For whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Here he says again, I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him better. I want to learn more of him. Even though I'm writing these letters to the church, even though God's called me to be a leader, even though I know more about Christ than anybody around me, I still need to know him more is what he's saying. I can't get enough. Of the way of Jesus Christ. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Like, we gotta be a church that has that kind of thirst for knowledge of Jesus Christ. We must be a church that desires that badly to know the way of Christ. And not just to know it as in like some distant knowledge, this is what he did, like history, but know it in that that's what we're being transformed into. Right? That's what we're becoming. Right? That's a powerful thing. And if we're ever going to know what God is doing in our life and know what Paul is talking about here when he says, obey, uh, work out your salvation, we got to know what our salvation looks like because it looks like Jesus Christ. which which Jesus experienced pain beyond and struggle beyond what's imaginable yes yeah, but it, and it looks like Jesus Christ and then God in and through him conquered triumphed over that pain and struggle right so So we can. um, So here's the deal. Like in in this life, there's there's uh, pain and struggle, no matter what, right? So we can go through that pain and struggle without Christ, knowing that. I mean, yeah, the grave is the end in that in that case, right? Uh, We can go through life without Christ, right? Or we can go through life with Him, trusting Him, persevering in Him, believing in Him, uh, expressing that trust and belief, sticking it out in situations believing that god will give us strength allowing his spirit to work in us to give us strength right we can go through it that way knowing what the end looks like right resurrection from the dead life full of joy and pain free and excitement or we can go through life without him right i mean it's kind of like pick take your pick so know the way of jesus know that that way is the way of the cross the cross is always going to be heavy it's always going to have splinters right there's no such thing as wood uh, they didn't have sandpaper back then i don't think um there's no such thing as, as a smooth cross just doesn't exist but we're going through with God so the first thing I think church has to do is we have to learn the way of Jesus second thing that I think Paul is showing us here in this in this passage, which we often neglect, is uh, to lead with our words. So I think I should have put positive words up there. Lead with your positive words, because you, you can also lead with negative words. That's never a good thing. Um, but that, we're prone to that, though. We're prone to that. You know, snap in a moment. Snap. Uh, somebody say the wrong thing. But lead with your positive words. The Bible is clear on this. In James, we did a series in James um, a couple of months ago. But in James chapter chapter 3, listen to what it says in verse 6. It says and it says a lot about this before this, beginning, the beginning of chapter 3. But I'm going to pick up in verse 6. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. <laughs> yeah, that's the tongue. That's our mouth. Those are the words we speak. Um that our mouth is 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 in a sense the steer wheel right it steers us it directs our life and so what paul is saying when he talks about grumbling he's talking about this smoldering discontent but it's vocal right it may be quiet i'm not doing that right who does god think i am right that doesn't make sense to me why would god want me to do that if God is really God, why didn't he, why did he let things turn out this way? Why would not he provide for me in this way? That smoldering discontent that we're speaking with our lips. And Paul's showing us that God intends for us to lead with our mouth. Listen to what he says, because he he goes on a little bit further. And I love this I was looking at this, um, uh, Philippians 2, 3, and 4 in my Bible. It may not be in every Bible, but in my Bible, at least, all fits on on one page and it kind of provides us this this holistic picture of what it looks like to follow christ um in verse uh chapter four philippians four verse four listen to what he says because he's teaching us how to use our mouth he says rejoice in the lord always that's the first thing we do right that's one of the ways we use our words we lead with our words by rejoicing right not just rejoicing when things are good or things are bad joy rejoicing isn't the product of not always or shouldn't be the product of oh i um got something good that was unexpected um that's not just when we rejoice Well, it is but we rejoice in the fact that we got something good right jesus death on the cross for us that we weren't expecting nor did we deserve And that can't be removed, so we rejoice always. So Paul's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. He's saying, like, I'm serious here. Rejoice always, even when you look foolish, because you're rejoicing, and it doesn't seem like you have a reason for joy. Uh, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, prayer and petition, begin speaking to God, a powerful way of using your words. So um, don't grumble, don't argue but rejoice and pray to god ask god for what you want and god's going to give you what you need but ask god for what you want speak to god lead with your words through a life that is deep in prayer Um, bury yourself in a life of prayer stretch yourself learn to pray more Um, don't say prayer is uncomfortable. Well, you can say that. I'm not going to say don't say that because it is a little uncomfortable to to sit and talk. I mean, it's just odd. Um, But um, just someone that you don't see. But but don't say this is uncomfortable for me. Say, I'm going to press through the discomfort of it because this is the way God intended me to use my words in order to lead my life. And so, yeah, I may only feel comfortable praying for 30 minutes and saying a few things, but push through that. Pray more. Pray, as the Bible says, without ceasing. Learn to respond. Respond to God as your Father who's actually present with you at all times. So he's saying, yeah, through prayer and petition. And then he says, um, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I like the fact that he says petition with thanksgiving um, because um, I'm prone to thanking God after I've gotten what I wanted. And he's saying when you're asking God for what you need, thank him then. right? Thank him then because he's good. And so Paul is teaching us how to lead with our words, to have a life that's shaped by uh, uh, rejoicing, petition, and thanksgiving to God in the midst of trial. And then the final thing that I, I see that Paul is teaching us to do is to let God have the final say. Right? Let God's word be God's word. Let it be so. Don't spend life second-guessing, questioning God. God, is this right? I don't know about this. I know the Bible says it, but that can't be right today. I mean, God can't expect me to do that today. God really can't will that for my life. Don't second-guess God. In fact, the way Paul ends um, a lot of his letters to the church, if you look at the very end of Philippians chapter 4, he says in verse 23, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. It's a word that's commonly used in the church, but it it literally means let it be so. Let all that I just said be so. Let the scriptures, let what God is doing in this world is taught to us in the Bible. Let it be so. Let it be true for our lives. You see, today this this word Amen actually is used in like other other countries and cultures and languages they like i mean it just kind of stays the same as one of those words it's not really um translated into other countries right as, as into the, in other words kind of like hallelujah i think it's the same in different languages people well, you know you'll go to china you hear somebody say hallelujah um even though they don't speak any english same thing here you'll hear them say the word oh man it's a word that's become so common to so many different people in so many different cultures and it means I'm going to let God be God. I'm going to let it be so. I'm going <clears> to, <throat> every reading of the scripture should end with an amen, a let it be so in my life. Not a second guessing God, not a questioning God in his ways and a distrust of God in his ways, but let it be so in my life. And so I'm going to close there with a reading of this, that. Philippians, let it be so in your life. Amen. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to open the Scriptures. And um, there's times in my life that I don't really feel like opening the Bible because I know that there's a, a challenge for me in there that, um, that I, I don't necessarily... Um, want to hear because it's not necessarily going to feel good for me. (laughs) And God, I thank you that your goodness isn't determined by our feeling. That when I say yes to you, it might not feel good. But as long as I'm learning the way of Jesus and saying yes to that way, as long as I'm leading with my words and rejoicing and praying and offering thanksgiving, as long as I'm reading the Scriptures with an all-man, i let it be so. God, it's good. And I thank you that it's good. God, I pray that you help us not to be deceived by our feelings, not to be deceived by our emotions, because they're fickle they aren't worth being trusted they may point us to the fact that there's a problem but they won't always point us to the one who's overcome all the problems and issues and struggles and challenges of this world and this life and so God yes we say amen because we know that you are God who's overcome it all so let it be so because you can lead us. So, God, now lead us and help us learn to follow. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen.